you have a church of 100%, there's usually only 10, 20, maybe 30% of the church that's actively each week trying to preach the gospel to people, that's actively trying to, spend, to pass out gospel tracts and to tell people about Jesus. We need unity in our church to reach Surrey for Christ. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 133. Psalm 133. Psalm chapter 133, and when you find it, if you could stand with me, and we'll read just the first verse, just one verse, and if we could read it all together. Psalm 133, and we'll read just verse 1 together. Ready? And let's begin. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message that you've given to me. I thank you for this verse. And Lord, help us today to learn the importance of unity. But more importantly, help us just to rely on you for everything in life. Because you are the giver of life. You are the essence of life. And Lord, you should be the reason that we even live our life. I pray that that would be the aim and goal by the end of our, this lesson today. Bless us now, we pray, in your name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. In 1625, a few years ago, a young Frenchman rides into Paris on a horse, hoping, longing, dreaming to be something great. On his way to the town center, his young arrogance and pride almost gets, into, gets in the way of his big dream to be something great. He finds himself new into town, but already at odds with the, the hostels of that city. Fighting now with only a sword and his wits, he fends them off one by one, hoping to stay alive long enough to be something great. But as the fight grew on, the enemy seemed to prevail. And just when all hope seemed lost, three other men stepped in to help him in this fight. Oh, it would seem they didn't even know what, that, what the fight was about, and nor do you listening even know what this fight was about. But the four of them, armed with just a sword and their wits as well, fought off the garrison and sent the enemy running home scared. As the little battle ended and this young Frenchman turns to his rescuers and asks them, why did you step in and save me? You don't know who I am. You don't know what I was fighting for. And the three men simply replied in unison, all for one and one for all. United we stand, divided we fall. They said that is our motto. We are the three musketeers. Perhaps you've heard a story similar or seen a movie similar, perhaps. The Three Musketeers, one for all and all for one. The phrase, the phrase was apparently coined, uh, was given, title, or given to uh, William Shakespeare in one of his poems, but was made famous through um, the author here of The Three Musketeers. But the power of unity and the strength in numbers has been preached and taught by... Military leaders, businessmen, 
been taught by pastors, by parents. The power of unity has been taught by teachers, by educators, by historians, by coaches of teams, players, all from the, since the beginning of time. Unity. Perhaps you've heard sayings like this, many hands make... Okay, I said perhaps. You know, I wasn't sure. Many hands make light work. How about this one? Teamwork makes the dream work, right? Or this quote here, which actually comes from the Bible, two are better than two are better than one. And there's many other quotes you could, you've no doubt heard over the over history, over time, about the importance of teamwork. But just how important is teamwork? Just how important is unity, and how needful is it in today's society? One for all, and all for one. We're going to look at that today, and the first thing I want us to see here is simply the power of unity. The power of unity. Ancient civilizations have shown us this principle to be true, the power of of unity. And I have our first picture I want to show you tonight. This, uh, this is a place you've all seen, no doubt, before, and uh, maybe some of you have been here as well, but this right here is a Mayan temple, or the Mayan Empire, centered in the tropical lowlands of what is now Guatemala, reached the peak of its power and influence around the 6th century A.D., the Mayan people excelled at agriculture, pottery, hieroglyphic writings, calendar making, mathematics, and left behind an astonishing amount of impressive architecture and symbolic work. Most of the great stone cities of the Mayans were abandoned by about AD 900, however, and since the 19th century, scholars have debated what might have caused their dramatic decline. But no matter what caused their decline, we can't help but look and see and think, wow, people so long ago with so little technology could build something that is still standing today, thousands of years later. The power of unity. Consider with me this next civilization here. This is known as the oldest known civilization to date and was responsible for canals, irrig irrigation. Anybody want to guess where this is from? Oh, I heard it. The Mesopotamian, the, Sumeri the, the Sumerians, the civilization, the oldest known to date. This uh, mini has been dated back to around uh, 2000 BC or so. Some might even say it was even longer than that. But even way back when, the Sumerians were responsible for uh, inventing canals and irrigation and archaeology has excavated jewelry in this area. Jewelry and pottery, weapons made of metal. Metals also they discovered such as copper and gold and silver all around this 2000 BC era. That picture here is actually a picture of, it's called the Code of Ernamu. Probably not saying that right. But this code is actually sort of like, well, you tell me what it sounds like, all right? I'm not going to read it in their, their dialect because I have no idea what that sounds like. But translated, we have 
Uh, well, I'll give you a couple of sentences here. If you kill someone, you will be killed too. If you commit robbery, that man or woman will be killed. If a man commits a kidnapping, he is to be imprisoned and pay 15 shekels of silver. And on and on and on the code goes. It's almost like it's ancient Ten Commandments, although there were many more than just ten. This, this, uh, we also have, of course, ancient writings here, the cuneiform. And it's amazing, 2000 plus BC, we have this kind of technology already in place. Our next image here, and I definitely am going to mispronounce this, but I'm going to try anyway. Just give me a second here to gather myself. Uh, it's, uh, it's a Greek word, so maybe I should let Pastor do this. But uh, antikythera, I'm going to go with that, all right? We're going to go with that? Okay, antikythera, We're gonna, we'll stick with that word. Uh, this ancient invention was discovered on the, small I, on the small geographical, unique Greek island called Antikythera, an island located between the more popularly known islands uh, of Crete. This device, it's a device, it was found back in 1901 and sunk in wreckage by divers who were out looking for uh, fish. On the wreckage, divers found beautifully preserved artifacts that dated back uh, nearly 2,200 years ago. Nothing too out of the ordinary until they came across this greenish encrusted lump, which they, of course, were able to pull out of the water. And uh, we have a small image of it here today. Now, at a glance, you might think that this mechanism is really nothing to write home about. It looks like a rock with uh, some green mold on it, perhaps. But upon further inspection, you will start to find gears that were once functional at some point, pieces that resembled an old clock. And as you investigate more and more, many people believe that this could have been the very first forms of a computer back thousands of years ago. How exactly it worked, they're still trying to figure it out, but the fact that it's got gears within gears within gears and all the little tri uh, tri trinkets that go together, and it's not whole itself. Curious to see what it would look like whole. But what could this possibly be? What would it have been for? Is a, probably a better question. What would they have used it for? Maybe they had Google back then. It probably wasn't called Google. Maybe uh, there's a Greek word for it or something. But in short, not only were the Greeks known for their, well, their technologies such as this, but it appeared they also made the first automatic or automated door technology. I don't have a picture of this for you. But uh, now automatic doors made its appearance back in 1931, and, uh, which was considered a cool part of the modern age back in the 30s. Today we pretend we're, we're opening up with mystical powers, you know, as we walk up to the door and we pretend to open it. Uh, I still do it, and Titus probably thinks I'm weird because I'm still doing it, but it's, it's, fun, to, it's fun to pretend. But we look back, and back thousands of years ago, they had, ancient Greece also had technology, and uh, to make a long story short, you'd use fire and water, and it would, uh, the water would build up this pressure, and it would release this mechanism, and this thing would come out, and basically you could open up these really large stone walls without, without with simply lighting a fire and warming up some water. Now, it took an hour to open the door up. So one of those things where you didn't want to show up to work late, I guess. I don't know how that works. 
But the fact that this technology existed so many years ago, it's pretty phenomenal. Now, next picture. In ancient China, over 2,000 years ago, this was discovered. What is this? Anybody want to guess? What is it? Ah, see, we already have a smart one in the room. Does it actually stay on there? No, it doesn't, but he's got it. This is an earthquake sensor right here. Every year, earthquake detection technology is getting far more advanced, detecting a natural disaster before it even happens and saving lives. However, this technology isn't that new. Over 2,000 years ago in ancient China, um, an individual whose name I cannot pronounce, his last name is Y.I., Yi, so I'm just going to go with that, okay? So, Mr. Yi uh, created this first earthquake detection device, uh, the first one ever found in history. And uh, that's how it works, right there, okay? Pretty, pretty straightforward, right, how it works? If you don't understand, I don't either. So you can, uh, you can try looking this up later. Uh, in fact, people that, to this day have tried to duplicate it, and they can't quite get it to work exactly the way this one has. So there's something about it that it feels the tremors in the grounds uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles before it actually hits, the, before it actually, people actually feel it. So however it works, it's a work of genius. But perhaps... Perhaps one of the greatest achievements in uh, mankind's history, and perhaps I say greatest because of how far, in, how far back it actually happens. We have here what we learned about in Sunday school this morning, and we have a picture for you. What is this? Yes, you can read. The Tower of Babel. Perhaps one of the first greatest inventions in Earth's history. Uh, of course, excluding, I would say, Noah's Ark was a pretty good invention. Of course, that was God's invention. Gave Noah the blueprints for it. Noah can't take credit for the ark. But we have the Tower of Babel. Now, this is where I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Now, like I said, if you were with us in Sunday school this morning, we touched on the Tower of Babel. All of our classes did. And the Tower of Babel is a very fascinating story. There's so much more in it that we can learn from. But I want us to just read these couple of verses here about what took place. And I want us to grab something from this that's important. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. I'm just going to read it. The Bible says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose, name, whose top may reach into heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Okay, so we have a group of people. Now, if you're in Sunday school, we go more in detail as to how, what, this, what all this happened here. Essentially, in chapter, Genesis chapter 9, God tells the people to disperse, to scatter upon the face of the earth. But here in chapter 11, they deliberately disobey God. And they say, no, we're going to stay right here 
In fact, we're going to build a city and we're going to build a tower so that people will remember who we are. Not, not so that people will one day look at this tower and say, wow, let's worship God. No, this tower wasn't for worshiping God. It was so that people one day could remember them. That's what this tower was all about. So they're building this city, not just, this, not just a tower, but the Bible says a city. They're building a city and a tower whose name may reach them to heaven, whose, whose tower may reach them to heaven. So look what happens in verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, look what he says in verse 6, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language. And this they begin to do. Look at this last part of this verse. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. This is God talking. What, what a statement to make. He says, he looks down at the, at the children of men, and he says, the people are one. They are unified. This is the whole known world at this time. This is 16 generations after Noah. This is all of Noah's family. This is the whole known world all together working in unity to build this city, to build this structure. Perhaps a structure like they've never seen before. They put their minds together and they got their, their greatest architects at that time and said, we want to build a tall tower. How do we build it without it falling? And they started thinking and the Bible says that they use slime. And uh, we talked about all this early in Sunday school. You just got to come to Sunday school to learn all this stuff, I guess. They talked, uh, they, they specifically said, let's make, not brick, but let's turn the brick into stone. And, and they started figuring out how they could make this thing work. And the people, when they got their minds together, they were able to accomplish something, well, amazing. So much so that God even recognized that as the problem. The problem is that they're unified. Now, unity is good if it's used in the right way. But when we're unified against God, this is going to be a problem. And God recognized that their strength was their, their unity. Their unity. So what does God do in verse 8? Well, he scatters them abroad. He makes them do what he wanted them to do in the first place. He changed their languages and he scatters them throughout the face of the earth. But the point here is, way back when they were building this magnificent some kind of a magnificent tower, some kind of a magnificent city, so much so that God came down and recognized one of their, their greatest strengths was actually their, their unity. Imagine what a group of Christians can do, unified together for God. When a group of, well, in this case, godless people got together, they were starting to do something so great, it made God come down from heaven to look at it a little bit closer. Now, he didn't need to come down and look at it closer. He knows all and sees all from, where he's at, from wherever he's at. But the Bible made it worded specifically to let us know that it, it caught God's eye, so to speak. The people were so unified and they were accomplishing something that wasn't for God, it was for themselves, but it, they were doing it so much that it made God come down and have to fix it. Their power, there's so much power in unity when people come together to accomplish something great. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, 
who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In Babylon, that was their problem. They were worshipping the creation instead of the creator God, and God had to fix this. So I started digging a little bit deeper. We all know that technology has just skyrocketed in the last 100 years, 100 plus years. Technology has just gone way out. I mean, 300 years ago, we're much further than we were. were, Now we're much further than we were 300 years ago, 200 years ago, 100 years ago. Yesterday, we're much further. The new phone's probably going to come out tomorrow, and then the next day, a new phone's going to come out. It's going to do something even greater. I mean, the cameras they have on these little phones and the sensors, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what technology has come to. But it seemed like for hundreds and hundreds of years, technology didn't really move much. And then all of a sudden, boom. It's just gone up and it hasn't looked back. I tried to dig into this a bit more. Where was really that turning point when technology just started to skyrocket? When did it just really start to take off? And it sort of happened with a couple of great inventions that really kicked things off. And from there, everything started to go up very rapidly. And there's really two big, and they weren't really, one of them wasn't really created in this time, but what a difference the second one truly made. Among some of the greatest minds and things that, dis- that discovered and invented things over the years, this one instrument seems to be, and when you study and research, most people point back to our technological advances, back to this one invention right here is where it really started. And I got a picture for you here. And what is this? What is that? One of the teens know. You guys know what this is? I, I, I wasn't around when this came out, okay? So we're not that old. I haven't heard anybody say it yet. What is it? Pastor White. I, didn't, I heard Nico say something, but I don't think it was the right answer. It was, uh, this is the first phone right here. This is a phone. Alexander Graham Bell invented this guy right here. Now, I know eventually it would morph into, you know, the thing you'd pick up and then you'd, you'd dial. These are things that we see in ancient museums and things, right? And it wasn't even that long ago. But this is the first one here, and I'm be honest with you, I'm not even sure. Uh, I'm not even sure what we're looking at here. I think the end on the right is what you picked up, and I'm not even going to try. But basically, this is it right here, Alexander Graham Bell. And it's interesting. Most historians and most people who study economics and things would would point back to the railroad and the invention of the telephone, which happened within about 50 years of each other or so. And once people were able to boot, once international trade boosted, and once communication started to get faster and faster and faster, we see technology starting to increase very rapidly. And once international trade started to get even more advanced, and once, um, well, I guess for the longest time, English became, uh, I don't know exactly what year, but when English started to become the standard uh, international language, People started to learn English more and more in different parts of the world. And before you know it, in the last 102 years, we have countries and nations all over the world for the first time in hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years unified 
in developing our world to make it what it is today. It's only in the last couple hundred years that we've seen from the far reaches of our worlds putting their minds together and transferring technology and, and information and creating the things that we have today. A lot of the devices and things we have aren't from North America. They're from other parts of the world. And we have parts that we have there and there, uh, they have there, and we have ideas that are being exchanged. And the things that our minds are be being able to come up with, I believe, has a big part in the unity of our world. Now, I know there's not strong unity in our world. There's always, there's always wars and there's clashes and this and that. But when you look at the power of unity, what our minds can accomplish when we set our goals to something, it's amazing. There is no doubt that there is power in unity. But what I want us to really understand here this evening is we know there's power in unity. I don't know if we, call, we quite realize the need for unity. We need unity. Trying to do something all on your own never works out. It's devastating. I, when I was in college, I got a job working fast food, and I worked at Wendy's. And I remember most of my coworkers were pretty good. They, they were working quick. But once it got later into the evening, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12, once you hit that 12 o'clock mark, there were certain coworkers I had, I really did not want to open the doors to Wendy's and go, oh, I did not want to see them because I knew I'd have to close with them. And there were certain people I knew once 12 o'clock hit, once they started getting tired, they quit. I mean, they were getting paid. They were there, but they weren't, they weren't mentally there. They quit. And I knew it would be up to me to have to carry the load and to get things done because I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible because I had to go to school in the morning. And I didn't want to be up till 2 or 3. And they would drag their feet. And when one person is doing all the work, it's exhausting and it doesn't work. The work that I, even though I tried doing their work for them, it still looked terrible at the end. Because one guy can't do it all. It can't work. And if I could say this, we need unity in churches today. There is so much dysfunction in churches today, but we need a church, a group of people that will get together and work to accomplish the same goal, the same minds. To, to work to accomplish the same end goal. And if I could say one of the, the greatest desires, one of the greatest reasons, really the reason the church exists is for one purpose, and that's to promote the gospel, to tell, to, to promote the Jesus Christ, to tell people about the gospel, to bring people in, to tell them about Christ, to disciple them so they can grow up and they can do the same thing and preach the gospel. We need churches today that would unify in preaching the gospel. But so many times that it's not just, it's not just one or two churches, but you go to any pastor, to any church, there's always a small amount. You have a church of 100%. There's usually only 10, 20, maybe 30% of the church that's actively each week trying to preach the gospel to people, that's actively trying to, spend, to pass out gospel tracts and to tell people about Jesus. We need unity in our church to reach Surrey for Christ. Our church is small, a couple hundred people at most, and we have a city that's a few hundred thousand. I think it's 600,000 plus we need all hands on deck to reach the city for Christ. A few people, we could make a difference, but we can't accomplish the goal that we have to reach this city. 
In fact, we don't just need more everybody on board. We need more churches in BC. We need more churches around the world to start preaching the gospel. We need unity in our churches. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 12, the Bible says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 20 says, But now are they many members, yet one body. Paul is telling the church in Corinth, look, a church is a body, but in that body there's all these members of the body. There's the fingers, the toes, the hands, the eyes, and they all, they all are individually different, but all together they still make up one body. And our church today is like a human body. It's, we've got different parts that work and that minister, that are doing this and doing that and cleaning here and helping here. But the church together needs to come together to accomplish anything for the Lord. A church divided against a, a church that's divided cannot stand. Because as the musketeers would say, all for one, one for all and all for one, together we stand, divided we fall. Churches need unity to reach people with the gospel. But not just churches need unity. Inside churches, there's ministries. Our ministries need unity. Churches and their doctrine, we need to be unified in our doctrine. We need to be unified in our leadership. We need to be unified as a youth group, as a Sunday school classes, our children's classes. The devil will do everything he can to find one spark whether it's in a children's class or a nursery or it's in the sound booth, he'll do anything he can to try to break up unity. Oh, and he'll use anything he can, even if it's something small, insignificant, the, the color of the carpet. He'll use that to try to uh, make two people argue about it. And then people have to come in and pull and choose a side. And the devil will do anything he can, even as ridiculous as it sounds, to try to break up the unity in a church. We need every individual person to be on their knees, crying out to God, saying, Lord, unify this church. And Lord, maybe I'm not a part of this unity. I mean, the focus and goal of this church is to preach Jesus Christ, the, the Jesus Christ from the Bible. Lord, help me to get on board. Help me to find and get into the unity of this church and help me to be a part of the promoting of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't just need unity in churches today, but we need unity in our families. Because a church is made up of individuals, and families are the core center of the church. And we have, the devil sometimes says, you know, I can't get into the church. They're, they're pretty strong right now, but if I can get into the family... If I could sneak into one of the kids in the family, if I, could, if I could make the family, if I could change some things in the family, if I could make their, if I could break up the unity in the family, maybe I could bring that into the church. We have so many broken families today, and not just broken for, uh, even for sinful reasons, but broken just because of a lack of unity. In Matthew 12, verse 25, the Bible says, And Jesus knew their thoughts. That's a scary thought right there. Shouldn't be scary. But Jesus knows your thoughts. But he said unto them, Every kingdom 
divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Historians would say the reason that Rome, mighty Rome, fell is because the unity was broken. They would say ancient Egypt, when they would study the pharaohs and man, for so long Egypt was just world power. They just dominated. But eventually, that strong unity within broke up. Political, po- politically, people tried to overthrow this and overthrow that, and they crumbled from the inside out. The unity was broken. We look at countries today who, who were once strong and mighty. You see the turmoil breaking up on the inside, and it seems like it's just a matter of time before nations rise and nations fall. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 says two are better than, than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. We're living in a world where there's so many families, they're just, there's no unity in the family. One person falls and no one's there to help pick them back up and then another person falls and in the family people are falling left and right and there's no one, there's no unity to build up each other back up. And if I could say this, unity is found in Christ. Our unity, your unity needs to be centered around Jesus Christ. There's so many families today who are centering their unity around money, around jobs, around education, around things accomplished. They're centering their family. They're trying to unify their family around even things like sports and unity around things that they enjoy and hobbies. But hobbies will, won't last and sports will, uh, will crumble or let you down and, and money won't always be there and, and your job isn't as stable as you'd hoped it would be. But if families would learn to center and form the unity around and through Jesus Christ, who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, that's a strong family right there. We need unity in our churches. We need unity in our families. But lastly, we need unity in prayer. Prayer. Without prayer, what is a church? Without prayer, what is what is a family? Without, without prayer, what is, what is life? God is the giver of life. Without, without God, without Him to guide and lead us, without prayer, what good is our church doing activities? What good is a teen retreat tomorrow? There's no prayer involved, if God's not there. What good is this service tonight without, without God? without prayer? What good is the job you have if God is not in it without, without prayer? How will things, how will we know what to do or where to go in life without prayer? How will we know what decisions to make without prayer? Matthew 18 verse 19 says, Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them. Of my Father, 
which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We live in a world that is divided. And we divide over everything. You name it. Sometimes we divide for fun things. You know, we got, I like this sports team and you like this sports team and we like that, that division because it causes competition, but it's also something to talk about. Some, some unity like that with, in competition where it's done properly is not what we're talking about here today. But there's unity today in homes, in churches, in families. There's, uni- there's, uh, there's disunity in homes, in families, in schools. We argue about politics and we spend our days worrying about uh, this what, 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 what conspiracy maybe this or this or this is and oh the government this and oh this person let me down here and, and, and we worry so much about all of the chaos and disunity in our world we forget that we ourselves are in disunity. We, we start to look at all the disunity in our world and we forget about the one that could bring the unity together. You look at ancient technology, you look at all these ancient civilizations and you, and you think to yourself, wow, they didn't, have, they didn't have factories, they didn't have the tools that we had today, and they were able to build that. They had the minds to still figure out irrigation and canals, and they could still do this and do that. And man, what a group of people can do when they get together. What a group of people can do and, and start building a tower so much so that God had to come down and... and, and May we be like the Tower of Babel. Only may we be in unity for God. Imagine a church that can get together and could do such a great work for God that it makes God have to, huh, what's Grace Baptist Church doing down there? We're doing such a great work. We're in such unity together. We're working for Him so much so that God has to come down to us and say, huh, that's interesting. Look at that church down there, that little church. Look what they're accomplishing for me. They're all, they're working together in unity. Unity caught God's eye with the Tower of Babel, but God had to correct their mistake. But imagine if we can catch God's eye with our unity, and God can look down and go, hmm, let me, let me help you a little bit more. I see what you're doing, I see your unity, but instead of, instead of changing your languages like I did with Babel, let me, let me help you in your unity. Let me help you grow. And if the church can get together and say, Lord, we want to reach the city for you. And Lord, we feel one of the best way we can do that. Lord, if you can give us a bigger building, if you can give us uh, more this and more that. Lord, give us more missionaries so we can support them. Lord, we want to make the biggest difference we can. We're, we're a small church now, but God, we want to we do something for you. And if we, if every fiber, every member of our church can get together in unity, every morning on our knees asking God to accomplish the same goal in minds, I think it's going to catch God's eye. I think it's going to catch his attention. But the problem oftentimes is in a church, there's maybe a handful of people praying, really praying for God to meet us, for God to use us and work in us. But imagine if 100% if children can get on their knees and ask God to use them, if adults and parents can get on their knees and say, Lord, what's, what's hindering me 
from giving my all to you, Lord? How could I serve you better? And if our church can bind together and do something great for God, imagine what kind of a spiritual tower we could create for the Lord. Not for ourselves, but for Him. We need more Christ-centered unity in our churches, in our families, and in our prayer closets. We don't need sports to unify us. We don't need war to unify us. We don't need a political party to unify us. We don't need movies or books to unify us. We need Jesus Christ to be the center of our unity. So let us unify together and serve the Lord together. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.